Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week our, our portion is Kitavo, which is when you come. And we started out singing, Huyavo, he will come, right? Uh, just as God was promising to the children of Israel that they would come to the promised land, we have a promise that Yeshua will come again a second time for the final redemption. And uh, today we sang a lot about thankfulness, and we're going to talk about thankfulness today. That's a key part of the message. And as I was reading the, the scriptures this week, I, I went and saw what our gospel reading was, Matthew 4, uh, 13 through 24. And so I opened up the Bible and turned to Mark chapter 4, verse 13, thinking I was in the right place. And after I read the passage, I felt like, well, after, after I later found out that I'd read the wrong scriptures, I thought, well, maybe there's a reason I read from Mark. And so it turns out that there is. So I want to start here in Mark 4, verses 3 through 9. Yeshua is telling a parable. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. Now, later on, we'll come back and we'll read more of Mark 4, I believe. Um, but within the message overall today, there's a, a question of what kind of soil are we cultivating? What's the soil that is our life from which fruit is going to spring up from? And and when we speak about uh, thankfulness, as we sang so much about this morning, thankfulness is what cultivates a soil from which good fruit can spring up. And in our portion this week, as we come to this one, often I'm a little bit uh, uncomfortable with the topic because there's so much having to do with curses and some really low lows, right? We have a mixture in the scripture here of some highs and some lows. But in chapter 27, we read a number of curses that are to be spoken at Mount Abel. And then chapter 28, chapter 28 opens up with a few verses of blessings. And then it goes through 54 verses about curses that will result from not following God. And the 54 verses start out bad and they just get worse to the point where you're like, I don't know if I can keep reading, you know, uh, without, without just feeling really sad for the people who are walking through those. But woven throughout this week's portion, there's a message of joy and thanksgiving that God is calling out for us to hear. 
And it's even written in the middle of those 54 verses. So in Deuteronomy 28, verse 47, the scripture says, because you did not serve the Lord. Okay, so it's describing all of these curses. And in it, um, it's saying that all of these things are going to come upon you because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Because, And it says, because of the abundance of all things. Uh, Another way of translating that is, when you had abundance in all things. Okay, and actually I think that the when you had abundance in all things is a a more appropriate uh, translation, primarily because there are warnings elsewhere in Deuteronomy of you're going to come into the land and you're going to prosper, but take care lest in your prosperity you turn away from following God and then you lose out. Um, so it's, I think it's more appropriately, you didn't serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart when you had the abundance of all things. And if we were to back up just a little bit and look at the context of this, there's really, I think, a parallel passage here from verse 45 through 47. The scripture says, All these things shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. Okay, so here you've got curses coming because of your failure to hear his voice and follow him. And then verse 46, I think, is a parallel to the start of verse 45, saying, They, the curses, shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart when you had the abundance in all things. There's... The parallel is not obeying the voice of God. And then the another very like part of it is not serving Him with joy and thanksgiving. Because it's one thing to serve God and to do it rotely without joy and thanksgiving. right? And that that's not the kind of service that God's looking for. He's looking for obedience with joy, with thanksgiving, recognizing that every good thing that we have comes from him. And so really to, to walk, and that's part of the aspect of why we uh, encourage each other to beautify the commandments, right? It's not just so that we do the commandments, but that we actually imbue additional beauty and significance within it such that our spirits and our flesh connect with God as we walk out his, his way and his words. But what he's highlighting here, saying that you didn't serve him with joyfulness and gladness of heart, it's this at, it's, it was the attitude of the service, the attitude that lacked thanksgiving, that was created the soil that brought forth the curses. Right? Because if you're just going through the motions and just doing things, you, you lose sight of who it is you're serving and why you're serving him, and you begin to trust in yourself or uh, look to the, your own self for fulfillment, then you actually begin to stray away from God and the curses come forth from that. So it's really an attitude that they lacked that brought forth curses and God's warning against that. Now, growing up, my mom would always say, you need to have an attitude of gratitude, right? And she would always say it at the most inconvenient times just at the time that I did not want to hear it because I was full force in my complaining and misery. 
And now she's telling me to recognize the good. Oh, now I have one more thing to complain about, right? <laughs> but what she, what she was saying is true, and, and she had to say it a lot, right? Because as we're raising our children and teaching them, there's a lot of times that uh, complaining rises up and all we can see is the negative. We can't see the good. But the truth is there is good there. It just may be concealed, whether it's concealed because we can't see it or that we're just choosing not to see it. And we have to train ourselves to recognize the good. In fact, uh, the Jewish term for this is hakarat hatov, recognizing the good. And it's, that, that phrase means recognizing the good, but it's also synonymous with gratitude. And so, it's a practice wherein which we train ourselves to see good over bad. Um, and we can do this in circumstances in life, and we can do it with one another in life. I know a good example that I've heard is you're driving in the car on the highway in Houston, never really a pleasant time. And that one person drives all the way up to the front of the exit and cuts right in, making everybody behind have to slow down. And now you're angry because you know that they knew they should be getting over, right? And really, they're just selfish. And you start saying, in your mind, you start running through all these things of negativity. And it's like, well, wait a second. Do you know that? What, what, how's your mind wired right now? Are you really wired to see the negative? Or are you going to actually say, wait, wait, I think I need a new route. What if that person had a medical emergency or was rushing to someone with a medical emergency, and it's actually for the greater good that they went all the way up to the front and cut in? And so the practice would be, well, how can I actually learn to first give grace, to give the benefit of the doubt, rather than to rush into criticism and judgment? Because the criticism and judgment does nothing good for them. Or nothing, it actually does nothing bad for them, truthfully. All it does is do bad for you. And it reveals more about your heart than it does about their heart. That's a tough word to hear. But that's the truth. And so then it's like, okay, you know, in fact, even this morning, there were several things that were going wrong. You know, from the time I went out to my truck and tried to turn it on, and it wouldn't turn on. And I'm like, okay. And it eventually did. Praise God. But there's a great chance to complain. And then I got here and the projectors weren't working. Another really good chance to complain. And I found myself getting a little disturbed. And I was like, no, wait, hang on. Getting disturbed is not the route to go. And so it's, it's a continual practice. It's something we have to walk in. And one of the things that we do on Friday nights, actually, we really ought to do this every night, is in our Sabbath dinners, we're sitting around the table. We say, hey, what was your... What was your favorite thing this week? What was, what was the most joyous thing? And so the kids go around and they, they tell their favorite thing from the week. And it's a great time to remember the good things from the week. Because it's not always the same thing. We often get to hear multiple good things and share in those. Um, I've heard the practice called the rose and the thorn. And, and what that is, is you first you talk about something that you really enjoyed and were thankful for. But then you talk about something that was a little disappointing. And that's the thorn. But sharing, and I've been a little hesitant to do that, right? Because it's like, well, I want to focus on the joy side. But really, speaking about the thorn is not intended to say what was the bad thing. 
and let's dwell on that. Instead, it's to say, well, what was the thing that didn't, didn't go right or didn't meet expectation, and how can we find the good in it? Well, now you're really working on rewiring the brain, okay? Because if you've remembered the good thing and you've talked about that, that's a good thing. Okay, but now if you can remember the thing that was bad and still find the good in it, then you just went into the high-intensity workout right there. And so I think that's what we're going to have to do is make that part of our practice is adding in the thorn and looking for the good and not allowing that thorn to steal our joy, but instead to say, okay, what's the, what's the silver lining? What's the concealed good that is in this? And how do I train myself to see it? And so when we come into this week's portion, right, we have the curses in, in uh, Deuteronomy 27. We have curses in Deuteronomy 28. But this week's portion opens up with a call for walking in thanksgiving. And so let's look in Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will, will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in the office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a great a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Right, so this is the, the first tithe. The first tithe being the first fruits brought before the Lord in response to the abundance that he's given and the fulfillment that he's made to the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even specifically uh, to Jacob and, and bring this, this offering. And then when we move from that first offering, then the scriptures continue into what is, no, what is known as Maser Shani, the second tithe, here in verses 12 through 15. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, give it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. 
I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God, and I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven, and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us, as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. So within this, both the first tithe and the second tithe, there's the call for joyfulness and gladness in it. Because even here in the second, he says, I did not eat any of it while I was in mourning. He's saying, I came before you and was able to do this with gladness of heart. And continuing on here in verse 16, This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. So from this place of joyfully serving the Lord, the children of Israel are declaring that Hashem is their God, and God is declaring that they are His treasured people, and that He has set them high and exalted them for praise, even unto the nations. You know, when they come into come into this place and bring these offerings. They're fulfilling the commandment in doing it according to God's word and with the attitude of joy. And that attitude of joy is one that you have to consider. It, again, it doesn't come naturally. And there could be circumstances in their harvest that would cause them to come and say, but my first fruits are so small, right? So then can they, even in the midst of drought or in the midst of pestilence and a poor crop, still come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm giving this with joy and thanksgiving. I'm not withholding any of it. I'm going to make a full accounting and I'm going to come and declare before you that I have done your word and that I haven't done it in mourning, right? There's a heart check at every time along the way and how we set our minds even the aspect that year by year they come and bring this offering with every harvest. Because there's one thing you could look and say, well, it says when you come into the land, you'll bring the first fruits. Okay, it could be a one and done. But no, it's an every year thing. It's an every year coming back before God and saying, God, I'm rejoicing in your provision. Rejoicing in your provision. And, and with it, even their statement that they make, they go all the way back to, I, de I have declared today that I have come into the land as you promised. It's a recounting of the promise that God gave to Jacob as he set out on his way to Laban. And in Genesis 28, verse 20, after Jacob has, his, has had his encounter, he made a vow saying, if God will be with me, 
and will keep me in, in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now we bring this up because the statement that's made here before the priest is going back and recalling the promises given to Jacob. And there's always a question outstanding of, did Jacob ever come and bring a tithe to God as he said? Or was the tithe postponed until the time when the promise of the land and peace would be fulfilled? And so it's thought that that Jacob did not come and give that tithe because at the time that he came back into the land, he came down to Shechem. And his, his daughter was taken advantage of, right? And such that the whole city of Shechem was slaughtered. And then Joseph was sold into slavery. So Jacob did not have peace in the land. It was only when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, brought them to the land, that they began to encounter peace and could come and give this offering that Jacob had said that he would bring. So as they come and they bring this offering, there's a remembrance that they're calling before the Lord of, Lord, I declare today that you've been faithful to uphold your promises. And the very fact that I can stand here in this land and have the produce that you've given me is a declaration that you keep your word and that you hold it fast all the way to the end. And, and as I was reading this aspect of, of Jacob talking about God providing for him, walking with him on the way, protecting him, and the idea that a lack of thankfulness is what brings about the curses, it brought my mind back to Deuteronomy 8, which we read just a few weeks ago. And I think this is a real connecting and parallel. Um, in Deuteronomy 8, I don't actually have the scriptures on the screen, but in Deuteronomy 8, the Lord says, You shall remember the entire road on which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness, so as to afflict you, to test you, to know what's in your heart, whether you would observe his commandments or not. He afflicted you and let you know hunger. Then he fed you the manna you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, in order that you may know that not by bread alone does man live, rather by everything that emanates from the mouth of God does man live. Your garment did not wear out upon you, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Okay? So here he is talking about how he provided, how he fed, how he clothed, and was with the children of Israel all along the way, just like the promises to Jacob. And then even later on in chapter 8, he talks about how he protected against snake and fiery serpent and scorpion. All these things... It's a parallel of the promise given to Jacob that God is fulfilling it in the land and on the way to the land and that God was going to bring the children in and say, when you come, when you come and take hold of the fullness of the promise, then you will come, you will celebrate before me with joy and you will not fall into the temptation of thinking that your own strength did this or being tempted to go and serve the gods of others, but you will know that it was me who brought you here and who's given you all of these good things. So as the farmer is bringing his first fruits, 
and rejoicing before the Lord, he's really cultivating soil. Cultivating soil that's going to bring forth a produce or a harvest that is bountiful. Now, as we continue through this week's portion, we're going to go and begin to look at the blessings and the curses of Deuteronomy 27. And before we get into Deuteronomy 27, there was a verse from, I think it was just a couple weeks ago, in Deuteronomy 11, in portion A. which is see, okay? Re'eh is to see. It's a command to see. And he says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after gods of others that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and, on, and the curse on Mount Abel. Okay, so he's saying, when I bring you in, you're going to pronounce blessing on Mount Gerizim and curse on Mount Abel. Now, Mount Gerizim and Mount Abel are right in the heart of Israel. They are at the same location where Shechem is. Okay? And Shechem was the place that Jacob came and settled down in hopes that he was coming back to the land in peace but did not find peace. Okay? Now, in uh, according to tradition, Mount Gerizim was a lush and fertile mountain, but Mount Abal was rocky and barren. Okay? And they were neighboring mountains, okay, just offset by, by not very far, but one was lush and fertile, and the other was rocky and barren, and that was giving us a picture of the paths that we could choose the path to listen to God and walk in blessing, or the path of embracing negativity and evil, and then for leading an empty and barren life as a result. And it's taught that, it's taught that when we are aligned with goodness, goodness flows down on the Mount of Blessing, while on the other mountain, the Mount of Curses, that absorbs our misdeeds. Right, And that's, if the curses are coming down and it's absorbing it, then it can't possibly bring forth any kind of good fruit. It's a lot like what's said in the scriptures, the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. Right, If we've cultivated iniquity and uh, negativity in our hearts, that's creating a barren space from which the seed that is sown cannot sprout up and produce good fruit, right? Because as we read earlier from, from Mark 4, it can be rocky or there can be thorns like rocky to where we spring up, but it's quickly scorched by the sun or having thorns whereby that which tries to grow gets squeezed out, right? Or that which comes upon the soil gets snatched away because it can't take root. But that which falls on the good soil, that's what, what's been cultivated through thanksgiving, gratefulness, and finding the good, that's the one that brings forth a great harvest. Right? Okay, so as we're looking at this with 
Mount Abal and Mount Gerizim. We're going to read in Deuteronomy 27, verse 1. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this Torah, which you are, which, um, all the words of this Torah, when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Abel. So these stones are being set up on Mount Abel, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings, and shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. That day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Abel for the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed shall be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now again, it's not very pleasant to go through reading all of that. Now, as we, as we read the curses, what's conspicuously absent is the blessing. Because back in Deuteronomy 11, the scripture said, you will pronounce the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Abel. But right here, we only see the curse spoken. And according to tradition, the way it was done is prior to each of these curses that was read, the opposite of a blessing was stated. Okay? The, the blessing was stated, to which it was said, Amen. Then the cur corresponding curse was stated, 
Amen. And back and forth. Uh, the six tribes on one mountain, six on the other, and with the priests and Levites standing between them in the valley and proclaiming loudly each of these statements and the whole people on both mountains saying amen to each. And the sages note that the curses that are spoken of here are all curses for hidden sins. It's, it's sins in which um, people may know about, but they may not know about. And what it was saying is, well, I think there's multiple things that were being, being said in this case. But one aspect is that the things that are revealed to man are for the children of Israel to deal with, are for man to deal with. But the things that are hidden, those are for God to deal with. And we read that in next week's portion in Deuteronomy 29, in the latter half of Deuteronomy 29. But the sages teach that it's God who punishes secret sin because secret sin leads to an erosion of moral integrity, both for the individual and also for the nation. And it's one where... Um, it's one that it seems innocent to some degree because you think this is just me. It's just mine to deal with. But, but it's not because we are a community. We're a whole body who walk together. And when we cultivate these hidden sins within us, it, it contaminates us in our heart. It produces within us a place where we aren't able to speak forth the, the truth in an unfettered way because we're weighed down. We're weighed down from things that God does not desire us to have or to walk in or for things that would hold us captive. And the thing that keeps us captive so many times is really fear. Fear, shame, condemnation. But those things... Those things are the design and snare of the enemy because the Scripture says that when we don't keep those things hidden, when we don't allow them to fester, when we confess to our brother, then we find healing, we find forgiveness, we find restoration. So it's really the power of sin seeking to hold us captive when shame and condemnation come because there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah. It's not that there is no sin, but God says, I want, to I want to redeem you and free you from it so that you can walk in wholeness. That which has held you captive, no more. Right? And in James 5, 13 through 20, James 5, 13 through 20, the Scripture says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back, who, who brings back a sinner from his wandering, 
will save the soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The call is for restoration. The call is for hope even in the midst of darkness, right? When, you, when we read about the blessings and the curses here on Mount Abel and Mount Gerizim, the blessings and the, the uh, beauty was on Mount Gerizim, but the curse was on Mount Abel, and it was the rocky and barren land. But where did God say that they should build the altar, where they should make the burnt offerings, where they should make their peace offerings in joy? Now, if it were me, I'd say do it on the lush mountain, on the Mount of Blessing. But God's command was for them to do it on Mount Abel. And I think there's a message in that, that God says that even in that dry and rocky place, when you seek me with all of your heart, and when you look for the good and you find the joy and you rejoice in my word and and coming to me, then I will pull you out of the curse and move you into the blessing. It is so much... I think it's like what we'll read in Deuteronomy 30. I haven't read it lately. But where God talks about the children of Israel being in exile. And he says, when you find yourself in that place of exile, you will call out to me and you will seek me with all your heart. And I will bring you back from your exile and I will restore you. But it's in that place of exile where where we're in the dry and weary place. When we're struggling to find the good that God will encounter us and pull us up out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's the beauty of redemption, even of Yeshua coming at a time of great darkness and being the light to shine in the darkness and to overcome the darkness so that we could be free. Now, on these these stones that were coated with plaster that we read about here in Deuteronomy 27, 1 through 8, The scripture says that you would set up these stones, plaster them, and that you would write on them all the words of the Torah well clarified. Now, according to the Talmud, what what this the interpretation of that is that it would be written in all 70 languages so that anyone who passes by the stones that were set up as a monument to the great works of the Lord could look and see the ways of God, and to learn. Now, I'll tell you a little bit of tradition around this too. The, the Mishnah explains that you know, all 70 languages were written on these stones. But they took these stones and they fashioned an altar and they made the offerings upon them. And those same stones were the ones taken from the Jordan River when the nation passed through. When God parted the waters, actually stopped up the waters so that the children crossed over the Jordan on dry land, they took the stones, and these were the same stones that were were used. And then from the place where they were used at Mount Abel, they were taken and set up in Gilgal as as a symbol and a sign to the nations who would pass by in that place. But it was within the aspect of them setting up these stones, these stones stood as a testimony of what God had done. 
a testimony of the, of the deliverance, of God fulfilling his promise to bring the children into the land, and then testifying of God's word. And the testifying of God's word was written on stone for people to see. And I can't help but see a, a parallel to the scriptures saying that our, the, the, the word of God was written on tablets of stone, but in the new covenant, he writes it on flesh, on a new heart. He writes his Torah well clarified on our hearts, and we become the testimony of his word and of his faithfulness to redeem us, to restore us, to renew us, and that when we have his word implanted on us in fertile soil, written well clarified, then our lives reveal the glory of God and stand as a testimony to the nations. It's a beautiful picture of the transformation, the testimony, and, and even the aspect that every single one of us were redeemed out of darkness and out of a place of hopelessness into God's marvelous light. It's as though we were standing on Mount Abel and God took us out of that place and he moved us into the Mount of Blessing by the work of Yeshua. And now he's placed us in that and he's given us a new heart and he's writing his Torah on our heart. And as he's writing the Torah on our heart, we're, we're joining with him and saying, Lord, how do I cultivate the soil of my heart so that your Torah may be written on a heart of flesh and that your word would not be lost, that it would not be stolen by the enemy, that it would not be choked out, but it will go forth and accomplish your purpose. And, and coming back to Mark 4, when Yeshua is, is explaining the parable to his disciples, in Mark 4.14, he says, The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is, is, is sown. When they hear, the adversary, Satan, immediately comes. So he's talking about uh, the... Uh, actually, I think I may have started in the wrong spot. I think I may have meant Mark 4.13. Um, no? Okay. Not... Okay, but... Uh, so you've got the first one which is stolen by the enemy and then and these are the ones sown on the rocky ground the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy but they have no root in themselves but endure and endure for a while but then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately they fall away and others are the ones sown among thorns they are the ones who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Right now, he's talking in his parable about the gospel, the good news, and, and the work that it has in a person's life, and the soil that the seed is cast upon. Now we're taking it, I'm taking it today, and we're, we're applying it more to a regenerated heart and the, and the walk of the disciple and saying, 
the seed that is sown of the Word of God in us, what soil is it falling on? And as we look at this story, we think about the seed that is sown and the soil on which the seed falls, right? There is some seed that is sown our way that is good and some that is not good, right? We have to be diligent to root out that which is not good seed, right? That which would, stir, which would come up and bring bitterness or uh, complaining or things of discontent. We have to root those out and instead be keeping the soil clean, pure, such that we can flourish and grow as the Lord desires. So as we go through our days, our weeks, we're not always going to have the, the clearly definable rose story, right? When someone says, okay, what's your favorite thing from this week? Because there's times that we find ourselves in difficulty. But it's at that time we say, okay, this is the thorn. But how do I find the good in the midst of the thorn? Because God is is seeking to do good in every instance, just as in the life of Joseph. He was able to say, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And he's able to show the brothers how the evil was turned around for good. And the sages uh, say that no evil descends from heaven, but everything that God does is essentially good. There is simply the revealed good and the concealed good. Right? Because even in the times that cursing has to come or that difficulty has to come, God sends it for the purpose of turning our heart back to Him. Right? The curses that are coming upon the children of Israel that are described here in the Torah is not for their destruction, but for their redemption. Even so in our lives. And so in our lives, when we see that thorn, when we see the difficulty, we say, okay, God, I know that you can take this and you can use it to transform my character, to transform the path that I am upon, that I am on. Help me, Lord, to turn to you to see the good and to walk in it. And as we practice that, as we walk it out, it will become more natural. It'll become the thing that we default to instead of the, the stirring up to, oh, they meant to do this, or they're being selfish or whatever it may be, right, that our natural inclination is, we can rewire by the power of the Spirit and what God has given us in our minds and our spirits to identify the good, to walk in the good, and to give grace to others. And then as we do that, as we walk it out, that's the Torah being well clarified on us with us being the standing stones and testimony to the Lord. So let us encourage one another as we go along the way to be ones who are sowing good seed, to be ones who are helping each other, encouraging each other in how to, in how to walk this out and how we can bless the Lord together. All right, let's pray. Father, we bless you for your goodness. We give thanks, Lord, today with a grateful heart. Lord, for you are good and you have been faithful to the end. Thank you, Lord, that your plans and purposes 
are good for us each and every step of the way. Help us, Lord, to see that which is good, to turn uh, in repentance from anything that we have cultivated or nursed that is not of you. Lord, I ask that your good seed that you have sown within us would bring forth a multitude of harvest, Lord, of blessing for us. Help us be quick to repent. Help us to run to you. And Lord, I thank you that you are faithful to bring renewal, redemption. And Lord, we we praise you. We bless your holy name in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.